is a writer, talker, thinker. He was a journalist for Hot Press, um, the Irish Times, Sunday Tribune. His latest book is Give Us Back the Bad Roads, Substack, John Waters Unchained, and John, it's great to have you on on Off Your Ireland. It's great now to be able to touch base with you and get a few of your ideas on what the hell is actually going on in this country especially and, you know, maybe we'll touch on the geopolitics in general and what's going on in the world. And I'll give it to you, John, if you could tell us a bit about your early life. Well, I come from the west of Ireland. I come from uh, West Roscommon, uh, very close to both the Mayo and the Galway borders, town called Castlery. And I uh, grew up there, went to school there and... Uh, Worked for a while then in loads of different jobs. Uh, I was a railway clerk, CIE, and uh, drove a mail car for years, for a few years, and I was a roadie with a show band and um, stuff like that, you know. And uh, I always wanted to get into journalism, and I eventually start, I used to start uh, send, I started sending pieces into Hot Press, which started up in the late 70s, and uh, uh, eventually I got a couple of pieces published, and... Uh, kept going then and they, they eventually asked me to, to write for them uh, full time. So uh, that was my start really. It was kind of a miraculous start, I guess, because uh, there was no other way into journalism for somebody like me. And uh, so I got in from there and I, I worked my way through various magazines in Dublin. I was editor of In Dublin magazine, which is a kind of a left-leaning listings magazine um, uh, at the time and uh, lots of different cultural issues and political issues and so on. Then I moved as I became editor of McGill for a while, and uh, was McGill was a really big uh, current affairs magazine in Ireland at that time, a monthly magazine, started by Vincent Brown, which was very influential and very interesting magazine. A lot of great writers started out there or walked there. And uh, so it was a different Ireland then, you know, it was a different country completely. You know, it was like a kind of a blank slate that you could have, you know, we had seemed to have put the bad stuff behind us. And uh, yeah, I went into uh, the Irish Times in, in 1990, beginning of, in 1990, uh, middle of 1990, and uh, I got a, I became a columnist the following January. And I was a columnist there for 24 years until 2014, uh, when I resigned after an episode where really, I suppose that, that was my first intuition that uh, the intonation, the intimation that really something in, totally unhinged was beginning to happen in Ireland. Um, we were, it, it seems, in in a different country where there were no values, there was no loyalty, there was no principles, there was no nothing. Because basically, even though I was employed to, as a columnist to have my own view and express it, I was being attacked on Twitter every night by so-called colleagues. Uh, uh, for 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 expressing these views, and being gang, there was a big pile on, and uh, uh, in relation to what's known as the Pantygate affair, where this uh, drag queen uh, attacked me and others on a, a TV show, completely baselessly, completely without evidence, without facts. But uh, so we said, well, prove it, or or or, or we're going to sue, and. Um, they all piled on again and all this, you know, so that's kind of, I, I think that was what's, it's all very boring stuff really, but what is instructive about it is that it was the beginning of, for me, the sense that Ireland had gone off the rails completely, uh, which I hadn't really detected before. I mean, where we are now, I think I kind of was, 
in a certain sense, over the target for much longer than that because of the issues I was, I was writing about in many respects. I mean, way back in the early 90s, I was opposing membership of the European Union uh, during the Maastricht Treaty referendum of, 20, of 1992. And uh, I also then became embroiled in writing about family law and out of that into all kinds of issues, like, for example, what we now call gender, you know, things like feminism, male suicide, men's health and the disrespect, the, dis the ignoring of men's health, the constant kind of attempt to divide men and women, all this other stuff. And uh, that really revealed itself in retrospect as kind of being the beginning of the cultural Marxist attack on Ireland. And out of that came the LGBT thing then, which escalated from about 2012 or so onwards. Uh, the abortion campaign, of course, was continuous throughout all of that. And I was, you know, I was engaged in all those issues from the point of view that I kind of understood how they fitted into the Constitution. I understood what fundamental rights were. Very few people understand that now. They don't seem to understand that, you know, these are not things you can trick around with. You know, that, that when you, that there's a, there's a, it's a complicated question, but that these are fundamental rights which are given to us. They're, they're antecedents. They're, they're not things we vote to ourselves. And you can't vote, vote them away or vote them down or change them. And this was this, the presumption of a lot of those uh, referendums we had was that they were up for grabs. But that's a nonsensical proposition, just as it would be nonsensical if we were to, say, have a referendum as to whether brown-eyed people should be allowed to leave their houses. I mean, that would be absurd, but the, the, the other referendums we had were equally absurd on that same basis. So I was involved in those things. People think it's, well, it's a Catholic thing. It's not really at all. I mean, it, it, Catholicism reflects it because it's common sense. It's natural law. It's reason. That's all. But it, it's before and, and, you know, antecedent as it were to Catholicism these things are necessary for human civilization to, to endure and to, to prosper. And we've lost all understanding of them deliberately. They've taken away the understanding. We used to, back in, in when we were in school, you know, we used to learn was something called civics, which wasn't particularly good, but you did learn at least the outline of the different uh, things that were important to know about your society, the state, the, 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 uh, the government, the Oireachtas, the constitution, these things. We learned at least in sketchy form what they were for and why they were there. That seems to be all gone now. Nobody understands. And uh, that's not uh, an accident. So, I mean, that's a very rough sketch of how I got here to, to the day. But is that, um, I, 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 that resonates with me. I, I, I see it seems to me that most people are floating in the wind and then the media seems to be completely locked down in Ireland. Like, you know, you were kind of, I suppose you said you, you couldn't, you had, you were shaking out, like, and I can see it, like, deplatforming is what's going on. Like, we had a video removed from YouTube there not long ago, and it wasn't, you know, over edgy. Do you know what I mean? Like, basically, you're in the age now where people's, what the information that they're allowed to consume is being tightly controlled by the few. Especially in Ireland, there's no, very does conservative media is lacking or uh, it, any kind of an alternative view except people you know 
wrapped up in a in a flag or with their profile pictures changed the latest thing we're all beginning to see this group thing phenomenon yeah. what's your thoughts on that well all these factors are are connected and and they're all actually much they're they're much more organized and orchestrated than than anybody really understands um you know the direction the media has taken i mean it, to where it is now which is that it is utterly completely corrupt it, it is simply an instrument now to lie to the population or in the instance of people who are in the media who are not lying from morning to night their job is to write up harmlessly about material about certain subjects so it appears that everything is normal but the lies are the underpinning of the whole thing and that's what the media is. It's it's not a truth telling. It's not there to tell people what happened yesterday. It's there to tell people what their orders are for today, from the people who really rule things. So that's the first thing. And that's you know people say, well, it was always like that. I don't believe it was always like that. Um, it certainly wasn't like that in my experience uh, for all the years I was writing until, as I say, 2014, when suddenly I realised that. Um, something was seriously wrong i'm not saying that it was perfect it certainly wasn't there was interference in different areas there were restrictions legal restrictions or other kinds of restrictions i mean i know that i, I had great difficulty when i started to write about family law or feminism or those things like i got a really hard time from editors and lawyers and all the rest of it and it was really difficult for many years like for 20 years i had huge difficulty writing about those subjects precisely because they're exactly what we're dealing with now the intimate realm, the family as a kind of a, a bulwark against the state's power. Uh, all this was being eroded, you know, and uh, the question of parenting, family, uh, uh, marriage, you know, the rights of children. Think about the referendum we had in 2012, allegedly to give rights to children, and in reality to remove rights from parents and give them to the state which now mean that children can actually change their bodies, mutilate their own bodies without their children even, without their parents even knowing. Uh, so, you know, it's, um, it's all of uh, really going back to the media, that, that their job is to really to, to oil this machine, to deceive the people, to keep the people in a state of deception. And um, that's really an extraordinary thing because unfortunately, people have not been paying attention and they don't know that that shift has happened. Um, another thing that's happened is in, uh, starting from America is that, that uh, the media first in, in the first instance ceased to represent the poor and downtrodden people. That's really what, how the media are, originated, particularly in America. Uh, you know, the, the penny press, people like Joseph Pulitzer, started papers precisely to 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 communicate with the working class people the blue collar workers of america and that was all kind of wiped away by the the influence of the new york times uh in the last hundred years because, which in, and escalatingly now in the last 20 years whereby they're essentially seeking to reach the richest and most powerful people in america and to ignore the rest of the of the of the population except to the extent that the rest that elements of that population may be useful. So what you find now is that this newspaper, paper, which has abandoned the working class uh, American, the blue collar worker, who can be all colors, is not necessarily a white guy or a white woman. 
they're abandoned, but now they've adopted this question, critical race theory, as a kind of a camouflage to present themselves still as altruistic, when in reality they're supporting and defending and, and buttressing the, the, the wealthiest forces and most powerful forces in America. And that's what the journalist has now become. Whether he or she is aware of it or not, some, in some instances they don't even know that this shift has happened. And lots of people don't. I mean, I know it's very interesting if you listen to certain, let's not name names, but there are certain, as it were, entertainers in Ireland, for example, who are well known for having political lines about things down through the years and writing songs of political nature. They don't appear to have been in any way aware of the massive changes, seismic changes that have happened culturally in the world in the last 20 years, where they, 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 the issues that they taught, for example, racism in America, Jim Crow, all this stuff, and that that's still going on, that that's still the issue, when in fact what's actually happening is that uh, racism has been weaponized as a weapon against the blue collar uh, uh, working class of America in order to marginalize them and eventually to plunder their resources, what resources they have left. And essentially what's happening now with COVID, the whole COVID period has really been an escalator, uh, uh, an accelerator on all those processes, which have brought us basically to within sight of the finish line now, where the people, the, the, the uh, companies like BlackRock and State Street uh, and, and those which control the investment agencies, which control 90 odd percent of the world's uh, wealth are seeking to complete the deal for themselves to get 100% and completely dispossess the working class of America and of the world. And essentially the political systems of the world, the media of the world, the medical uh, systems of the world, the scientific uh, intellectuals of the world, the intellectuals in general, the academics, have all got behind this process. In very many of them in total ignorance of what they're actually involved in. They still think they're in this post-60s era, and they're still using the catchwords which belong to that era. Racism is one such. You know, racism has declined enormously in America in the last 30 years. Uh, to the point now that the, the CNN did a survey a few years ago, did two surveys which they matched in a comparison. And what they found was that whereas white people, white Americans, uh, and particularly middle class Americans, believed that racism was on the rise, black people who are allegedly the victims of racism thought that racism was disappearing, was, been, was, was going away, it was almost eliminated. This is an amazing thing. So this is a completely manufactured moral panic, which we in Ireland now have imported. Conservatives, you know, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, etc. Conservatives. Yeah. They had nothing to say about anything like this. They're now crazy repeating the mantras which have been imported from America and which have been adapted by journalists in America in order to cover the fact that essentially they have sold out their own people. And now this, this has been has become the centerpiece of Irish political discourse. In the last this feedback into the like the the green agenda, the net zero, and uh, you know like that they've signed us up to this. It's nearly akin, I think, to a cult, like the the, the mother. You know what I mean? They they seem to want to they want to sacrifice the growth for for the mother. 
God, basically the the green agenda. Like it, it seems to to tie into the whole lot of, to the whole lot of it. Like that that we're consuming too much, and they want to reduce that. There's no basis to it at all, and and nor do the people who are pushing it at the very top believe there to be any basis to it. They know the truth of it. They know it's a complete con. But they're using it as an instrument, like they've used the LGBT issue and the abortion issue to create division and alienation and, and uh, demoralization throughout Western society to achieve the silencing, what I call the lockjaw of the population, which has been achieved in Ireland, essentially began in 2014, 15. Exactly at the moment I was talking about in my own ex direct experience in the Irish Times, when I left the Irish Times, that was the moment that I saw hit Ireland, this, this, where these goons, uh, you know, claiming victimhood, uh, were highly subsidized from internationally, from America and elsewhere, huge amounts of resources, you know, capable of getting the guard, the, the to paint, to repaint their cars, right? In their honor. To, or every, every corporation in the world to fly their flag, state buildings to carry their flags, schools to be forced to carry their flags. And these people are claiming victimhood, right? Uh, uh, but this is all a scam. It's all a scam in order to break down society. It's literally like, like, you know, they're def like defrosting a fridge with a, with a hammer and chisel. They're taking the ice out piece by piece every day. And that's what, that's what has happened now to all the Western societies. They're under attack. We are at war. Uh, uh, and these are all these things that we're talking about. You see, the, the, this is part of the genius of them. That each one in its turn draws us into the, the entrails of itself. Uh, you know, the gay marriage issue. We start debating it on the start when in fact we need to stand back and say, ah, what's going on here? Why are they doing this? They're doing this to, they're doing this to divide so they can conquer and so they can rob. That's precisely what's happening. So, uh, you know, I think uh, uh, where we're going now is that uh, we're into the final stage. And you see, Ireland is in a very strange situation because we have been deeply, deeply hypnotized over the years by the education system, by RTE, by the newspapers, uh, um, distracted, manipulated, lied to and so on. And as a result, I, I firmly believe that Ireland is kind of, if, if we put it like this, if it were up to Ireland to save itself, then we're doomed. There is no force in Ireland capable of saving Ireland, in my opinion. The only hope we have is a twofold hope, which may converge as one. One is because this is a spiritual war, there may be a, a supernatural intervention. Or there may be a, an earthly inter intervention for the same reason, from outside. In other words, uh, the cavalry may come from some as yet unidentified uh, location, possibly the United States, possibly. I know there are tr there are rumblings about certain forces uh, being mobilized within uh, in America against this tyranny. This because this is this is really unprecedented and it is absolutely shocking. What's happening in the world is beyond belief to anybody who's grown up in this world in the last 60, 50, 60 years, as I have. So. And being, being fed with certain notions of what this civilization stands for, what it's about, what its values are. I mean, that these same people who drive any dissenting voice out of the public realm or off the streets are just one to prate about our democratic values.
where is all this coming from? Just on the LGBT thing, and and I think Ireland, is, most people on the in, the in on the island, they didn't have, really have a problem with with the whole, you know, the LGB. You know what I mean? Maybe to that extent, but there's something profound that these children. Do you believe that they're? Is it hormones, chemical hormones? Is it straight up parenting, or is it what? Where has this come from? Like the, like the exponential growth of this dysphoria. The gender dysphoria. Is it a combination of things, or what do you think it is? No, like I agree with you. See, the the, the whole idea of there being intolerance of it, of gay people is a complete fiction, pretty much a complete fiction. Not entirely, maybe, but then there's always intolerance of everybody. You know, I suffer a hell of a lot of intolerance for not agreeing with certain people about things, and um, that's to be expected. So m most Irish people didn't have any issue. With any of that, except that when they started to, to mess around with our constitution and to try to redefine not just the marriage, I mean, they could easily have had, a, as I've said a hundred times, they could have had a version of marriage which was gay marriage. It didn't necessarily have to be called like that, it could just be a different category which did not interfere or trespass upon the constitutional protections for the, the natural family uh, and, and parenting and marriage in that context. That was, there was no issue with that. But they had to get the best gay marriage in the world, which means that now marriage is essentially meaningless. They basically tore mar marriage down and, 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 and cut it into ribbons. So people aren't aware of that because they're not paying attention and because the media is not telling them. And, and people like me who actually understand all these things and try to explain them are completely excluded from any proper coherent debating platform. So, uh, the people behind this are the people, the richest people in the world. Like, there's all kinds of theories about different kinds of groups, but at the end of the day, it's about money and power. And BlackRock is the biggest company in the world. And the CEO of BlackRock, a man called Larry Fink, has said that uh, democracy is a very poor fit for the kind of capitalism we are now pursuing. The totalitarianism is a better model. The Chinese model is the one they prefer. And you've heard people like uh, Justin Trudeau and other people in, in Western politics talk in the similar terms. Eamon Ryan, our own minister, Green Minister, or our environmental minister, has said that he would like to be an autocrat for uh, maybe a year or something like that so he could impose all this stuff on people. And this isn't, these are not jokes because. We might have thought before March 2020 that they were jokes. Now we know they're not because they've done it. They've been doing it for two and a half years. So uh, that's where we are now. You know, we're 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 in this situation where right this moment in in September, mid September uh, 2022, where in a strange way we've had six months of a kind of pseudo uh, quasi normality. But, but it isn't normal because we, they've already taken these things from us. They've taken their freedoms and they've given us back concessions, which have allowed us to function in a, after a kind of fashion in, in, a, in a normal way for the last six months. But they, in the mor morning, they can simply withdraw them again because we now know. Was that General already took a case in, you know, a part of which was the objective was to actually show that this had actually happened. And that there was no agency in the country willing to to prevent it, 
And so we went. We went to the Supreme Court and we found that the Supreme Court was not willing to stop it. And that therefore we, our democracy was gone, the rule of law is gone. And we don't any, so there are no, there are no, you know, people who talk about Western values. I say, well, which values? You mean the, 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 the right of all people to be killed uh, without the company of their, their families and, and so on? Is that a, that a Western value now? What is, what are Western values? Uh, the right not, not to be able to drive any more than two kilometers from your house? Is that a Western value now? So, you know, this is, this is shocking, you see. It's only when you stand back in the midst of all of that so-called pandemic stuff back in, in, in 2020, it was very hard for people to see it. But surely they can see it now when you actually look at how long it's lasting and when you look at the, the changed demeanor of our political uh, uh, personalities. I won't call them leaders because they're not leaders. They're, they're, they're would-be rulers, a different matter. And so the, the, the world we had is gone. And, and Larry Fink is having his way. We are on the point. We are on the cusp of a totalitarian state in Ireland and in, in Europe and in America. America is possibly, I mean, if people were paying attention to that speech that Biden made about a week or so ago, where he is uh, back, red and black background, just like Nazism. And he's talking about declaring war on half the population of America. And he, these are the people who call their critics fascists. This is all of this is, is beyond belief. Like it's in, in one level, it's completely puerile, but it's also the reality of our politics now, and they're deadly serious because they have the power, they have the guns, they have the, the monopoly on state force, and they are constantly trying to goad a mob to create a mob and goad it into attacking certain elements within society. If people really knew what was happening and what it means in their society now, they would be terrified to the very cores of their beings. John, I, I agree with you. I, I, I really do agree with you. I just want to touch on this is a very interesting topic and people are very interested in it. And it's something I've questioned myself and I've, I've thrown it out on the chat here or something like this. Like, why does it feel like we are being attack like it's us that's the target we're the you know that I, i've seen something today that they refer to us as that we're the global elite the common man in the west now is the global elite yourself and i our, our co-patriots we're we're the global elite in their eyes now and that we need to be brought down you know that this is what they're doing they're they're projecting it's, you know psychiatrists talk about the projection they're they're accusing those who criticize them and call them out and question them of that which they themselves are doing and know themselves to be doing. That, that's clear. So they are the Nazis. They are the fascists. Unquestionably. They are, they are the people who are doing what the Nazis did. They are the one who are inventing identity cards to make, to stop people entering into shops and restaurants and so on. And then they call us Nazis and fascists because we say, no, no, we can't, we don't accept that. So let, let's not, let's not try and defend ourselves against that charge. It's absurd and it's, it's, it's pure. Any of these charges, they're just game playing. Just say, I won't say on the, but there's only one answer to that, you know. And, and the second word is of it. There's two words and the second one is off. So, but this is a trick they do. And, and where you have to start then to actually focus on where it can become dangerous is that the mindset that they've generated in the public, their acquiescence and all of this, their belief in the lies, their uh, uh, willingness to obey, 
their willingness to be co-opted as foot soldiers on behalf of the ideology and of the regime. These are the sinister aspects. Because that's they're basically dog whistling, you know. They're basically sending messages to these people that they have, as it were, trained to behave in a certain way. And the question is, you know, can we get to those people sufficiently and in time in order to stop this from escalating into its next phase, which will be a lethal phase? Because make no mistake about it, let's not let us not underestimate the danger where we are headed for this is a well-trod track and it's a track towards outfits it's a track towards cambodia it's a track towards the breakdown of yugoslavia these are the precedents that's the road we're on and the the thing is you see that in this process we can see there are various ways you would characterize it, but I mean, the, the, the sense of, I've had for many, many years about this, that um, there are certainly in the last few years that the adults have left the building, that there are no authority figures in our cultures anymore. Just look at, you know, I, what I mean, if you, there was one authority figure, maybe a couple of others, but, but one very distinguished one who emerged in the United Kingdom in the COVID period in, in April of 2020, and that was, uh, Lord Johnson Sumption, former uh, judge of the Supreme Court, who made an extraordinarily articulate intervention, criticizing lockdown, criticizing government policy, and so on. We had no such a figure here uh, in Ireland, not one. There wasn't one single figure. Michael McDowell came out from a while, former Attorney General, former Minister of Justice, former Senior Counsel, and so on. Still, he's still a Senior Counsel. And he made some kind of vaguely uh, pro-democratic noises, but he very soon flammed up and disappeared. So people can speculate as to what might have happened there. But the point is we don't have adults, and that's a terrifying place for a society to be. It means, in effect, there is no good authority. There is no good authority anymore. There is only bad authority. There is malignant authority, and that's what we have. All of the authorities, the head of the police force, the judiciary, the media, the political systems, the opposition, the Shannon, the Dáil, you name it, the government, they are all malignantly authoritarian now, of their essence. And that's a deeply, dramatically dangerous place to be. I concur with that. We've seen it. And you know, they pushed it through the whole saga over the last two and a half years. Uh, we've seen different scenarios play out in Australia, different approaches in Canada. I think the truckers' protest in Canada, it showed us that they will strip you into, they'll strip you in the nude. You know, if you, they will take your bank accounts. They, they had frozen people's bank accounts who just donated like 10 euros to the GoFundMe. So like they'd literally just shut down, like what China would do if you, if you, you know, say things that the regime doesn't like. Next thing you can't get on the train or next thing your money doesn't work in the shop or whatever. And this is the, the path we're on. And this is, yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, these are, these are merely illustrations, you know, of, of, of this, 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 what I'm talking about, because ultimately they can do anything they want unless we stop them. You know, if, unless we stop them before it's too late, then they can do anything they want. That's the way it works. I mean, you see, these people are supposed to be serving the people of Ireland, and in fact, they're now ruling the people of Ireland and tyrannizing the people, 
you know, the people who are terrorizing them and abusing them. They have been for two and a half years in a very gr gr grotesque manner and um, on the basis of lies. So there's no, there's no restraint coming from that side. Forget that. Uh, you know, if you want to actually see what could happen next, think about what's happened on the internet in the last uh, 15 years. Think about what's the kind of culture that has come there where the way people treat people they regard as their enemies, the way they attack them, the way they cancel them, the way they lie about them, the way they, they absolutely blackguard them. Well, put that then into the real world, in a world in which there is no law and order, in which the police force uh, carry the, the insignia of uh, a goon squad of, of ideological uh, uh, terrorists. Uh, the judiciary sit on their hands and refuse to see or hear anything. The media are lying from morning till night. What would stop the same syndromes resulting in mass killing in our societies? What would stop the people who hate Catholics from killing Catholics? What? Restraint? Conscience? Sorry. They don't exist. Without the law, without the rule of law, there is no protection from, for real minority groups who have different outlooks to the rest of society. It's a great, um, that's a great segue into say, maybe what's going on there with Enoch Burke. Like I've seen the quote from his today. He said something, to, and I, I, won't, I won't be able to quote him 100%. Basically said that if I have to live like a pagan in society, or the choice between that and living like a Christian in the prison, I'll choose prison or something to that effect. But like that, I think that's profound. Well, you know, the Ina Burke story is a, is a very solitary story of where we stand because, you know, this is exactly where I, you know, what I was talking about in terms of like 2014 and what happened then. The sudden attack that came on anybody who sought to question what the LGBT goons were about. What they were trying to achieve and that you know we had before that we had what's called political correctness and you know that used to be a kind of a joke thing you know that oh it's just kind of an exaggerated form of politeness towards certain minority groups and people would say oh has political correctness gone mad as if it was like a really harmless sweet little thing you know in fact it's the most insidious uh, form of thought control possibly that the world has ever seen and, and in this particular instance, you can see that from the Burke episode, it's not the first thing that has happened before. Jordan Peterson was a victim of this several years ago in, in Canada. But essentially, they have gone from telling us in the first instance what we cannot say to telling us what we must say. And, you know, that's what I'm talking about lockjaw. I mean, if you, when you see what those people did to this society, you can see this, this society used to be an extremely garrulous society. You know, I grew up on it. I was went around with my father in a mail car. There was people every day chatting all the time, arguing, fighting, you know, about politics or whatever it was. People are now afraid to open their mouths about virtually anything, even uncontroversial things, because they're not sure that something they might say might have some connotation that would intrude upon some issue that is verboten. And they, therefore, when they're even speaking, if they are even prepared to speak among friends, they have to check behind them before they begin, you know. That never happened before in this society, but it's happening now. 
and it's as a result of what happened in 2014 and 15 and again in 2017 18 before the abortion referendum and so by the time they got we got to 2020 and the covid scam people were already so intimidated that they were willing to lie down and not question anything and in fact to 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 stand up only to attack anybody who did question it and that's where you bring you know that's that's what they're trying to do they see the the commissioner of Angarda Shikona is constantly trying to do this to 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 people who oppose the lockdown to to not just simply say that they're wrong which is would be fine he's quite entitled although they as a guard commissioner he's not entitled to a physical opinion at all but to actually call these people far right which is to equate them with Adolf Hitler and 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 the gas chambers in Auschwitz when in fact they are people without power for the most part without power of any kind without weapons of any kind who simply express a particular view and to think that these people are being demonized by scumbag journalists and scumbag Garda commissioners the very people who are imposing this tyranny on our country this is a measure of how reckless they have become and how indifferent they are to the question of consequences these people seem certain that they will never suffer consequences they seem certain that there will be no day of judgment. I don't mean any extraterrestrial day of judgment in this particular instance. I mean any day of judgment in their own country. They believe they are safe and that they can do this with impunity. And so far they've been proved right. But we shall see. Yeah, it's been very, it's been surreal to be honest with you. The way they just seem to be, to have like Pied Pipers, you have the command of the mob. It's easy to see why, at least in the UK, there's alternative views of GB news that kind of do some, you know, conservative ideas and whatever. They don't go too far, but there is an alternative opinion out there. I mean, I think Britain is, is also very, it's much more tightly controlled than it appears to be. Um, you know, there are those platforms, but they're, they're relatively, you know, there are one or two vo voices here and there which can be quite effective, but in general they don't have the kind of discussions that you need to have now in this situation i mean like the whole concept of, of conservatism i think is now redundant you know because we have gone so far down this route that the very idea of conservatism is actually nonsensical like what would you conserve if you were to conserve to be a conservative now i mean you would be conserving or proposing the conservation of nonsense of idiocy of, of insanity of, of, of filth, you know, of drag queen story hour, you know, that would be, you'd be conserving that. That would be like the value system of our culture now. So I'm not a conservative. I, 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 I prefer to think of myself as a civilizationalist who seeks to restore Western values to, 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 the, to Europe and to America. Uh, that's, that's the only project that I think is worthwhile. Um, Right and left no longer have meaning, as I've well as been saying. You know, the the the, the so-called left no longer represent the people that traditionally the left represented. They represent the richest people in the world now, even though they claim to be representing the victims. But the victims are only human shields, which are used to beat back the the working people of of the world, to prevent them reclaiming what they're being what has been taken from them. You can see this classically in Ireland, that people in Ireland are being told to shut up while their country is taken, stolen from under them, 
while hundreds of thousands of outsiders, aliens who have no affection or affinity with Ireland whatsoever, are being brought here for no reason other than that they want income for nothing and the people who are bringing them in want Ireland. So, you know, that's, that's a classic example of what I'm talking about. And as you see, that's why they attack us all the time, because we're pointing this out. We're telling people what's actually happening, counter to the media narrative, the lying media narrative. And there is that possibility that if we continue doing that, even at a low level, that it will erupt suddenly. And that's what they're terrified of. That, you know, that I've been saying it for some time that, you know, there's a kind of a pessimism, which I suffer from, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not accusing anybody on our side of being negative or anything. I, 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 I share their pessimism very often. But I have observed, and from studying different things, different aspects of this, that perhaps we are being unnecessarily pessimistic about our capacity to change things. One, because you can see that the, the authorities are so rigid with terror that we will uh, uh, get any even one sentence across that they haven't managed to extinguish. Um, but also because if you think about it, these things tend not to happen in, in an incremental fashion. You know, at a certain point, the critical mass is reached and the next thing there's an explosion, a shift of consciousness. And that's, I think, what we're working towards and it's what they're working to avoid. The, the authorities are working to avoid that. That's their great terror. Uh, but I think it will come in spite of them. It's already, you can see, they've made, uh, there are things that happened this year that I, I don't understand, but it seems on the face of things anyway that they were things they couldn't possibly have intended to happen. One was the extended kind of hiatus, which is still going on, which continued from January of this year right through now into September you know, eight, nine months of relative, let's say, quasi-normality. I don't say freedom because it's not freedom, it's concessional liberation, liber liber liberty, concessional liberty, if that's not a total tautology. It is actually a tautology. But, uh, a, or sorry, it's, a, it's an oxymoron, I beg your pardon. It's an oxymoron, it's contradictory. You know, the concessional liberty, if, if liberty is concessional, it's not liberty. And it is concessional. So, but nevertheless, people have been able to, to breathe. And, and now I've noticed there's a kind of a thawing in people's demeanor. And they're not any longer sort of rigid with this uh, terror and, and anger, which has been imposed upon them by RT and other media. And they're beginning to loosen up a little bit and, and, and listen to people and ask questions themselves, which are now kind of obvious questions, like, I mean, which did not occur to them when in, in the kind of the the mania of 2020. And um, so I, I, I think that that in itself is a very interesting experience, even if it, if, it, if it declines again, if we go back into masks and madness again, which we may well do. I mean, I, I see some early signs of it, to be honest. But nevertheless, the fact that we've seen this happen tells us that we can recreate those conditions perhaps in the future. Because this will go on for a long time. It will go on until we stop it. It will go on until a million people appear on Connell Street and tear down the spire, which is a symbol of our tyranny, of the tyranny, of our enslavement to the, to the needle. It was put there for that precise purpose. This is the, almost 20, 20 years ago, this December. Imagine that, that they, 20 years in advance, they erected 
the symbol of our enslavement right in front of our eyes at the center of our metropolis. So that's what we have to begin to think about now. We have to think about comparison, comparisons, you know. What you know, I mean, from the beginning, what would a pandemic be like? I say, well, just imagine what a pandemic would be like. Did it ever happen? Well, I, what I would have imagined, a pandemic, you know, there would be ambulances whizzing up and down the road, would be hearses following after them, there would be stretchers being carried out of buildings with dead bodies, there would be people collapsing in the street. None of this happened at all. The entire thing was a fabrication, and still is, and. There are lots of things you can see, you know, I mean, you say, well, look, uh, another comparison you could make is to say, well, if this was a real genuine pand pandemic, would they be closing down alternative views? No, because the evidence will be so overwhelming that those alternative view viewpoints, to the extent that they were expressing skepticism, would be shown on a daily basis to be speaking rubbish. It would be absurd. It would, you, all you would have to, all the authorities would have to say is, would you ever just shut up? Cop yourself on and go away. It's clear you're just an idiot. But the point is that the reason they're actually, you can see it all over the place, the reason they're closing down the alternative voices is because the alternative voices are speaking the truth. It's the truth that they're terrified of. So as long as we continue to articulate the truth, then they, they we're winning. I think in a certain sense, we, we've been always winning in, in the sense that their strongest day was the first day, was the day that Bradhurst gave his speech from Washington. The first line speech he gave of this whole episode, and and um, you know each day after that, then they they became every so every little every such a tiny little bit weaker every day, but now they're very weak indeed. Except that we don't really see that clearly. So. I think that that speaks also for the global situation. And as I say, I don't believe that the Irish, unfortunately, the Irish people will not be the ones to launch the first attack on this. But at least when we see it happening elsewhere, we will have now the wherewithal and the, the, the understandings to take it up from within ourselves and to be inspired by what happens outside. And that's okay. So I am hopeful in that sense, but I'm not hopeful about uh, I think that at, at, if we recover our country then, or when we recover our country, we need to have a, a really radical look at everything that's been done here in the last 50 years in the education system, in the media, uh, in, in the judiciary, in the police force, in the political system. We need to revamp our political system. We need to root out all the political parties which have supported this tyranny, all of them, which means all the parties in Dáil Éireann and Chanad Éireann, and make them illegal organisations. I've been saying that for two years. There's no way back. We, there's no way back for them because they, they, they stole our democracy. They stole our freedoms. There's no excuse for that. There's no justification for it. You know, we see, we see actually, you know, a very interesting interview. Again, it doesn't get publicized. So it was a very interesting interview with the former chancellor of the Exchequer in the United Kingdom, Rishi Sunak, in the Spectator about 10 days ago, two weeks ago. And, he was basically describing being sitting at the cabinet table and, and seeing all of these things happening and no attempt being made to study what was actually being done or to question the science that was being presented to them, no matter how bizarre and fantastical it became. And that he was questioning the thing and he was asking why we're doing this and why, why don't we do this and why, and then being just silenced. So 
The same thing happened in Ireland. There was no democracy. We, there were, we, this, these things were not voted on by any representative of the Irish people, except in a sham way. They were implemented on, at the diktat, at the say-so of the World Health Organization. Yeah, the, the World Health Organization, the, the World Economic Forum, the whole thing, uh, it has everyone everyone's mind spun out over the last couple of years. To me, I think the, the energy crisis, is, it's like a continuation. It seems that the same businesses crying now that were the ones targeted maybe at the beginning of this whole thing two, two and a half years ago that were classed as non-essential and they're the ones seem to be screaming the most. They didn't listen when they were designated non-essential two years ago and now they're, it seems the agenda is still potentially might squeeze them out. You know, cafes, pubs, restaurants. Yeah, I mean, yes, of course, the, 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 the climate changed. You know, I wrote an article about a year ago or so around the turn of the year called uh, The Politics of Permanent Emergency, which is essentially about what they were trying to do, that they were creating a sense of emergency that would allow them to rule by decree ad infinitum. And so they're shifted from the COVID to the, to the Ukraine war, uh, to the, the briefly on the, the, the monkeypox, and then onto the climate change agenda. And that's what's act- exactly what's happening now. Uh, but it's all about the same thing. It's about, look, uh, during the so-called pandemic, the, you know, the most important thing that happened was a transfer of four trillion American dollars from the uh, uh, small and middle-sized uh, uh, businesses to major corporations. People like Elon Musk and, and, and Jeff Bezos um, tripled, quadrupled, quintupled their, their wealth in that period. And the people who were the the, the 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 shop on the corner was closed down or ran into massive debt that will never be able to repay and it will close down in, in next year or within a few months. So that's what it's been about. It's it's essentially uh, uh, you see, okay, so what was really going on here is that they, they knew first they've known for some time that the systems of money and economy that they've been operating are on uh, in, nearing their death throes. That because of the amount of debt, our, our money systems are, are uh, money is generated by, by as debt in our systems. And that's an untenable situation because there is never as, as much money as there is debt. So debt grows and grows and grows and money just kind of runs to catch up, but it can never catch up. And so there is no real wealth in our economies. It's all debt. And that's what's been happening since back to the 70s with the elimination of the, the, the gold standard. And uh, they've known for some time that there's a massive terminal crisis coming, and now it's arrived. And they're basically trying to manage it as a kind of a controlled explosion. And this is what the COVID thing was all about, to create the conditions where they would have, be able to close down the economy so as to prevent the, and at the same time pump massive amounts of money into, into, uh, uh, into uh, through, through, uh, uh, quantitative easing, helicopter money essentially, and and that they would be able to manage the uh, through flow of this money through the real economy in such a way that hyperinflation would not result. That was their priority. So that was how they had the, the PUP and the, 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 the lockdown and the you know the closure of businesses and so on, so that there was minimal minimal real actual econ- economic as as uh, activity. 
to the extent that they could manage. And that, that kind of worked as a way, put a break on the whole thing and allowed them time and space to begin to organize their next step, which is the, the, digital, the global digital currency, which will uh, eliminate uh, cash, will introduce universal basic income, Chinese-style social credit surveillance-based systems. Money will not be money. The digital currency will not actually be money, as we understand it, because it will be issued with all kinds of caveats and qualifiers. So you'll be able to spend it only on certain things in certain places. And if you don't behave yourself, you won't be able to spend it at all. And all of this. So there, this is what I mean. You see, that, that this is what Larry Fink is talking about. This is the kind of thing that, that you can't do this in a democracy, obviously. But if it's totalitarian, well, of course you can do it. And that's what you need. And if you need something now, the deal is that the witch guys get to see what they need. And the rest of us get to show up. That's the deal. That's what, it, that's what Drew Harris is there for, to shut us up. That's what the head of RT is. That's his job or her job. I don't know what it is. That's what the editor of the Irish Times does. His job, their job is to police speech. Police thought in our cultures to prevent the people realizing collectively what's happening and beginning to do something about it. And uh, while that's the case, then you know, unless people begin to see the the joints and make the, put the pieces together, I mean, you can t help a little bit if somebody's willing. I think the Enoch Burke case could set some kind of a precedent. Well, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure that, that, that it will, because I've seen too many cases like that before where people were left to rot in jail. I mean, the, the system has not just started being corrupt. The judicial system has been corrupt for a long time. And I, I've, tra I've tracked a lot of that in my work as a journalist, uh, going back to the, to the uh, mid-90s. Um, the, the family law system in particular, you know, the way that families were, and children were being treated in the system. Um, and, you know, this is just an escalation of that. I knew a man who was spent a year and a day in, court, in jail for uh, a contempt charge. A contempt charge that was heard by Mr. Justice Birmingham, now the President of the Court of Appeal. Uh, habeas corpus uh, application. Habeas corpus is when somebody is, 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 is incarcerated, it is possible for their friend or family or whatever to take what's called a habeas corpus, corpus, which requires the state to produce the body of the person and explain why they have been imprisoned in public. George Birmingham held in a habeas corpus hearing in camera, which is another oxy oxymoron. And that man, as a result of that, spent a year and a day in jail until the shamefacedly the state basically eventually let him out the back door because they couldn't think what else to do, because he wasn't going anywhere. And I suspect that Mr. Burke is not going anywhere either. So something ha similar will happen. Uh, I suspect that what will happen is that uh, the school will acquire some level of conscience eventually and, and ask the authorities to stop the nonsense. But it's not happening yet, and it won't happen in the short term. I think it'll happen in the medium time. But I don't see, I know there were some protests uh, today at the prison, and that's, that's promising. And, you know, I've tried to uh, write, I've written some things, and I've, I've tried to, uh, um, to uh, talk about it internationally and so on. Um, but, you know, we can't predict any of these things anymore because 
the idea that of the justice factor, the justice quotient of this is clear, but it, it's meaningless in cultural terms now. It, it has no effect because there's no media to prosecute it. There is no judges to take responsibility and say, this is nonsense, please, let's just stop this right now. There's no political authority which is decent. They're scumbags, all of them. And so this is, you know, this is very hard. I know this is very hard if people are not used to hearing these things in this way. It'll be shocking and they'll think I'm being rhetorical or something. No, no, I'm being precise. I'm being precise, factual. This is where Ireland is now. Ireland is a totalitarian state run by the lowest forms of life that we've ever seen in political life in this country. I promise you that. People need to wise up. Stop listening to RT, stop reading the Irish Times and look with your own eyes and listen with your own ears and say, does this fit any sense you ever had of what a civilization might look like? Brilliant, John, 100%. I, I, I res resonate with me. Couldn't agree more with, with that statement. And on that, I think we've been going a good bit. We might open up for a few questions, if you don't mind taking a few, or how do you feel on that? Sure thing. Brilliant, brilliant. Thanks a million. And Patricia there, you want to swim with a question first, Patricia? Thanks. Uh, this is for you, John. A uh, quick question. Um, yourself, yourself and Gemma were in the High Court recently, and um, the state organised a, a barrister uh, to work to work with you on your case, and uh, you you guys didn't take up that offer. And I was just wondering, uh, how come you didn't organise your own one? Um, do you do you not think there's that there was anyone good enough to work with you on the case, or you just wanted you felt you were strong enough to to deal with them yourselves? Well, we all of the above, really. Patricia, um, we we uh, believed that we were capable of running the case ourselves, and we did. Uh, we didn't know of any barristers who were. Uh, had shown any inclination to to take the positions we were taking, so therefore it would have been folly to hand control of the case over to people who weren't on our side. Um, the question of the court, the Supreme Court offered us. People misunderstand this because it was misreported. The Supreme Court offered us a pro bono legal representation, but it would have been chosen by the Supreme Court, not by us. And the same problem would have arisen then, that we were basically trying to deal with lawyers who were not necessarily on our side and not supportive of our positions. And above all, in order to make the case we were making, we needed the people speaking in court to be on the same page as us. That was the most important thing, and that's why we took the decision we did. Thank you. How are you doing, John? Uh, pleasure pleasure to, to hear you talking. Um, it's not really a question, uh, but uh, it's something. It's something you touched on. Uh, you touched on an awful lot of very, very relevant topics. But something I do believe that's very relevant for the people of Ireland, especially, is the Gardishikona do not have an opinion. They're not entitled to an opinion. They are there to adhere and uphold the law. And I, I think uh, if you if you could touch on that again, it, it might resonate uh, clearer coming from you. There's lots of other things I, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about, but we won't get through them all. But I think that's a very relevant one uh, going forward 
for for what I believe is uh, the shitstorm that's about to unfold from October onwards. Yes, uh, we're we're in a very 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 sinister and dangerous situation with our police force because it has shown itself to be completely beyond the law and uh, completely incapable of understanding that its role is to maintain the law regardless of what anything, even regardless of the instructions of its, own, of its senior officers. If they are against the law, they should be disobeyed and ignored. That's the requirement if you're of the oath of a guard. And so clearly in the last uh, two and a half years, particularly in 2021, uh, we saw that they were outside the law and behaving in the most reprehensible way. And in fact, they have surrendered any right to be treated uh, respectfully as a police force, uh, in my opinion. Um, and I, I would regard them as a deeply sinister force now. And I mean, that would be even before I start to talk about the, the, the rainbow uh, the trappings or the decorations on their squad cars. I mean, how in the name of God can people who have issues with the LGBT goons, who are one of the most sinister forces again, and that we've seen since the, perhaps the blue shirts back in the 1930s. How can we, if they're going around with their insignia on their, 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 their cars, how in the name of God can we go to them and say that we're being menaced or threatened by these people, as we should be entitled to do, if that is the case, as it has been the case in my, in my, in, with me, uh, where I was threatened with being uh, punched in the street uh, by a gang of LGBT goons. As uh, gangs of LGBT goons have tried to have actually succeeded in and, and, and attempted in other instances unsuccessfully to cancel events that I've been speaking at over the years. Who do I go to when I know that the police force on this question and other questions is corrupt? So uh, that, that's a really serious thing. I mean, and, and that's related, in my view, to the fact that we have now in the, in the last uh, few years imported the leadership of the police force from the neighbouring jurisdiction, legally speaking, the, the, the Northern Ireland, uh, where you have essentially members of, who have taken a note to the Queen already, to the Queen of England, or now as it will be the King of England. Um, how can they be trusted to represent the people of the Republic of Ireland? Uh, I don't think they can. I certainly don't believe, don't trust them. And there's every good reason to observe what has happened in the last few years. I mean, I'll give you one instance, which really should shock people to their core. Also, sorry. sorry, I hope I didn't cut across you. Cut across you. Also, they have introduced these um, uh, prohibition guardi, um, inverted commas. Um, they're not even guards. They're they're, they're putting them in in, in uh, precarious situations to cause friction uh, yes. deliberately. Oh yes. And undoubtedly, that's yeah. true. undoubtedly that's true. There was a very clear example of, of uh, on, on New Year's Eve in, in Dublin last uh, last January, last December, where a fire broke out at the Masonic Hall on Molesworth Street in the late afternoon, about five o'clock, shortly after five o'clock. And the following day, this the, the guards and the Irish Times claimed that it had been started by an anti-vaxxer and that the person had left graffiti on the street outside admitting this and stating this, although they wouldn't show us a photograph of what the graffiti actually said. Um, 
And there was all kinds of uh, evidence purportedly uh, put forward by eyewitnesses, but in fact, none of these eyewitnesses appeared in person. They all seemed to be appearing or to speak to intermediaries. One uh, spoke, he worked in Boswell's hotel and he spoke to his boss who wasn't there, who was in Dunleary, which is 10 miles away while this happened. And he was tweeting from Dunleary about this episode, even as it was happening, uh, supposedly on the basis of the information being relayed to him by this staff member who never appeared in public. But then the most interesting thing was the following day, the Irish Times carried an, an article claiming that a man had been arrested and was in James's hospital with serious spinal injuries, having fallen through a window or something like that. And that the anti-vaxxer thing was, and there was a, 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 a picture of the text of the graffiti from an oblique angle that made it impossible to read. But in fact, I had a, a video of the night before when the fire was uh, in train. The fire was actually a Christmas tree fire. It may have been started deliberately. It's possible. It's not impossible. But it's just as likely that it was an accident, an electronic, electric uh, fire, which is not uh, unusual, and uh, particularly in an unattended penalty. And there was all kinds of contradictory evidence about uh, the, somebody having entered the, the, the building at about 20 past five, I think, and the fire being started at 26. Nothing about what happened in between. And what, where was the witness in the 20 minutes entering? Did he see the person going in and say, oh, there's somebody breaking into the Masonic Lodge? Uh, I'll just go and have another pint and see how things are in 20 minutes. Like, how does that work? Um, so, but then the interesting thing was that they picked the video of the night before, while the fire was, as it were, raging, showed the spot where the graffiti purportedly was drawn, and there was no graffiti there. Nor was there any attempt to, to, to safeguard that place. It was clear that people were walking around it quite willy-nilly. There was nothing there. The graffiti was imposed afterwards, after the fire, sometime perhaps in the middle of the night of, of New Year's Eve, of, of, of New Year's Day, the morning of New Year's Day. This is what we're dealing with. Now, people, again, will not believe this because, you know, they don't pay attention and they just read the Irish Times, and which is a lying newspaper. It tells nothing but lies and a little bit of, you know, Gracing aspect, you know, fun stuff that has no relevance to anything. But this is how serious things are, and people need to get real about this. These are criminals. These are criminals. The Garda force is a criminal force. That that's the bottom line, and 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 there's no point in pretending otherwise, you know. And and uh, there's no point in in you know thinking it will change, that somehow they will say, well, oh, you know, we're getting away with too much, we, we'll, we'll, we'll try and mend our ways now, come on, it's getting a bit out of hand. That won't happen. It will get worse and worse and worse. That's what always happens. How are you doing, John? It's uh, very nice to hear you again. Always a pleasure to hear you talking. Um, I just wanted to suppose, say, uh, with everything that's going on at the moment all over the world, and one thing we've probably come to learn over the last number of years is that we've never been as wake towards the amount of corruption that's going on. And I suppose we know now that we can't trust anybody that's in power um, or connected to a political organization. So I suppose we all feel that, that the next couple of weeks or next month or so, without throwing out any dates, will see us somewhat in the dark. Um, from 
again, uh, a false agenda, climate change. And I'm just wondering, it's, it's gone well past trying to wake up people. Nobody has to try and wake up anybody anymore. That was something we all probably did years ago and fell out with family members and one thing and another, trying to get them to see the truth and being called lunatics and whatnot. But I think, I suppose, for the, for the, next, the next round of their agenda, people will have the waking up to themselves, however rude it will be. Um, and I just feel that we should be there for them in the sense that they're our close ones. But um, we might not be, you know, in the sense that this will be what we're talking about, a blackout. Uh, there will be no electricity. We will have no communication. And um, deep down in my heart, without being too pessimistic, I'm, I'm, I'm really waiting for it. I just say, bring it on. We need to go to rock bottom here before we can build this whole thing back up, you know. Uh, and I'm talking about life in, in the good sense, you know. Uh, all these people need to go. All these people need to go that have been running our, our show, lying to us, uh, and doing these evil acts throughout the world. And, and it has to go to the rock bottom. We have to go under the ground to bring this whole thing back up. Um, yeah, and I just would like to, just to maybe sort of, for myself to finish on that note. Um, there are, we can talk about this, I suppose, for forever. Uh, there are no solutions unless, John, you go for, uh, president uh, and, and show us how it's done, you know, because I think you're the only man for me with the brains in Ireland and the know-how and the knowledge that could run the show and take people to the next level. But, you know, um, so yeah, I think we all got to look out for ourselves and our loved ones. And I say, bring it on. We got to get there and we have to go right down to get this whole thing back up, you know. No, I, I, I completely, well, I almost completely agree, Damien. I don't agree that I, I, I should go into politics or anything like that. That would be a terrible <laughs> life sentence or what. But uh, I, I, I appreciate the sentiment, but, you know, I think that insofar as they agree with everything you say, uh, that, that, that about the moment we're facing, the enormity of it, the, the potential for grief and sadness is, is tremendous. Uh, these people are crazy beyond except, uh, explanation. They're reckless beyond words. The, what they have done to us, the, they have placed our people in harm's way, our children in harm's way, our children's children in harm's way. Uh, they are absolute criminals. Uh, and they have done this willfully and recklessly and under instructions from higher authorities, so-called, higher evils is what I would call them. Um, and and in in that sense, yeah, it's it's, it's going to be a, a very bleak time in one sense. But the other possibility is, I agree with you also that uh, this needs to go down before it comes back up. Uh, we need to face the worst of what these people have brought upon us and deal with it in order to be able to make sure that their likes can never ever 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 gain control of our country again. That the people like Varadkar and Martin never, ever, ever draw a breath in a public building in Ireland again after this. We need to make sure that that happens. But in the short term, you know, it would be tough. But we can actually, I think, if we endure this, if we can overcome the, the hardships and stick together and look after each other and, you know, Try to, I mean, you know, I think one of the things you said there, Damien, is very, very important that we can remember. I don't mean necessarily forgive and forget all of the slights of the last two and a half years insofar as, you know, relatives and friends and so on. But in order to put them aside and, you know, help people who are in consternation 
when, oh, as they will be when they see what really these people have delivered them into. Uh, and, and, and to, you know, uh, uh, share our, what we have, you know, and, and help each other, you know, come through these months. And, and hopefully in a year or so, we will begin to get stronger again and combine our energies. We have huge resources in this country, as in, as other countries have, of, of not just natural resources, not just the capacity to feed ourselves and look after ourselves, but also many other things. And, and, that, that it's important that we, again, lay our hands on those resources so that we control them, we control our own destinies, and we don't hand our destinies over through these shiny-suited scumbags to the power brokers in Brussels who then hand over to a higher authority than that and a higher authority than that, and God knows in the end who is actually ultimately pulling the strings. Uh, and uh, so I, I'm hopeful about that. I, I have always believed that you know, as in, in so many things in life, we need to go to rock bottom before we begin to see sense. And and I think that that moment is now very close. I think it's it will happen probably. There's some doubt, I think, you know, about whether or not the financial crisis that was expected will reach its uh, uh, apogee uh, by the end of the year. I don't know, I, uh, but it will certainly happen within the next 12 months. And so we may have a more, you know, a more extended purgatory than we, we thought, but we can, we can survive it. You know, as, as an old friend of mine said many years ago, he said, he used to say, we've overed worse in our day. And we have, our people have overed worse in their day. And, and uh, this is just another episode in the long struggle for Irish freedom and, and independence. We never had it. We never had it. They conned us into believing we had it, but all the while they were giving it away. And so at this time, we have to demand it and we have to ensure that it's ours. Brilliant, um, John. Thanks, Millian. I wonder, like, will we ever see the, the rubber band snap back to the other side? You know, I, I think that's... Have these people been allowed to just go to the so absurd and just so ridiculous that it's nearly a self-destruction with the these different ideologies? I think, do we come out the other side of this, I think, with... A more traditional, I like this idea, traditional type of going back. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, traditional ideas are, are you know, are worth respecting because they have endured. And, and, and that's for the very good reason that they were harmonious with the nature of reality and the nature of human, the human structure and so on. Uh, you know, this idea that you can simply, you know, because of the, the date on the calendar, that you should be changing everything. It's a relatively new idea, and it's a very stupid idea. You know, I mean, you hear disc jockeys, or we've been hearing for disc jockeys for years, you know, introducing items about, uh, on the radio about, you know, the Irish Constitution. Well, you know, it's 80 years old, or it's whatever, you know, and, you know, it's time to change it, you know, and let's say, well, how often then would we need to change it in order to keep with the times, you know? Would once a week be enough to have a new constitution every week, or would we need one every day? Or maybe two a day, you know, like, what, what do you mean? Like, this is idiocy. Because they don't even understand what's in it in the first place. It's all just aff affectation. And unfortunately, a lot of what's happened to us is as a result of that. It's all kind of, you know, slogans and uh, uh, pious sentiments and, and uh, catchphrases. And uh, unfortunately, now we are a society that is basically, you know, clotted with catchphrases. And, and no sense can get a, a, a word in edgeways. So, uh, you know, but look, this is where we are, and, and we don't want to stay here. 
we need to move on. And the only way to move to a better place is through the fire. Could I ask a question? I've read your book, Give Us Back the Bad Roads, and um, I was uh, very impressed with the um, statistics you had on um, the economy and the presence of multinationals in Ireland. Um, you've, you made a comment that you think that the leaders of the country are not leaders, that they're almost like, I even got the impression that you thought that they were unfit for the positions in terms of their education. Um, do you think that they will allow uh, the energy crisis to shut down these multinationals in the next um, 12 months? Because obviously, if, if they aren't able to function and um, they're generating the, the main income in this economy at the moment, they'll pull out. And if they do, uh, that's going to change the face of Ireland and its its uh, its thriving economy. Do you think that they? Do you think that they would be absent-minded no, uh, enough to allow that to happen, um, or do you think um, they will, you know, sacrifice the Irish public, make sure that that that, that those multinationals continue operating here, um, if we're facing into an energy crisis? Well, I just don't know what they're capable of. I mean, they, 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 you know, well, first of all, I didn't. I don't think I ever made a point that they weren't educated. I mean, what we call education, they've had probably far too much of it, uh, uh, is the problem, more like. Uh, but the problem, you know, you know, everything is inverted. You know, I mean, the idea that that the multinationals, if they pulled out, it would be a disaster for Ireland. Well, it would be only a da disaster in the short term, in the in the on the basis of the model that they these corrupt politicians have imposed on us. And it needs to happen if ever to get our country back and and recreate it as a kind of a self uh, autonomous, uh, uh, you know, self uh, uh, sufficient, sovereign nation. We need to get rid of those people because they have destroyed our country. We need to get rid of those corporations, all of them, pharmaceutical, uh, big tech, that big data, all of those. So you see, the politicians basically, uh, they, run off, they operate on runoff uh, from this, this pseudo-economy. I call it, it's a, it's a cuckoo in the nest economy. It's not the Irish economy at all. Our economy is not thriving in any sense, whatever, except on, on paper. But the money that is being generated in our economy never belongs to us, and very little of it sees its way into any kind of Irish corner, into any Irish corner. So, you know, we're 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 living a fiction, uh, and I've talked about this many times in the context that it's almost like if we had been, you know, given uh, we had inherited a shop uh, uh, from our grandfather, and uh, uh, there was an, an apartment over overhead. And we sat in the coffee, the cafe across the road, looking at it for several days, thinking, "Well, what would we sell there to make a living?" And then the brilliant idea struck us that we could just live in the apartment upstairs and rent the shop out, and that's what we did. So we don't actually have an economy in Ireland we're talking about, very little, compared to what we could have and should have. And so, the, so in addition to getting rid of the politicians who destroyed Ireland, we need to actually, you know rebuild the economy that we might have had if these people hadn't uh, taken it over and, and give, given basically our resources to outsiders and destroyed us on, in multiple ways, you know, importing vast numbers of aliens who have no affinity or affection for Ireland whatsoever, who now threaten and menace the Irish people and call them names. 
because they some of them refused to hand their country over without a fight. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I do think we just need rid of this generation of politicians. I, I'm of the view, obviously, it isn't for me to say other than to say. But if I were asked my opinion, I would say anybody who has been in Irish politics over the last 50 years should never be allowed to enter or run for election again. Nobody. That includes me, by the way, because I ran for election and that should be, I include myself. And I'm very happy to do so. Very happy to, that, to have that opportunity not to be, by my own rules, excluded from this, the dirt pit that is Irish politics. Because it's, it's going to be a dirty business rebuilding Ireland from that position. Uh, the, the legacies have to go anyway, and the Sinn Féin, I can't, they'll be, they won't last long anyway with the tsunami that's coming. Just take one final question then off, last through Gail, and then we'll wrap it up because uh, John's been brilliant this time. Thanks, William. Um, just, yeah, just a quick one there. So, some of the, one of the themes that's kind of coming up a bit right now, I think, is, um, People have Tom, like Thomas Sheridan have talked about this, how to basically come to terms or process what, what exactly has happened over the past year, you know, with family members or parents or relatives kind of, you know, laughing at you or calling you an anti-vaxxer and then what's happened, we've been vindicated in terms of what's happened, unfortunately, with the adverse reactions. What's a good way of kind of like moving forward with that? And also, just before I kind of finish up, thank you very much to the two of you for hosting this. This has been a great thing. So, thank you. Thanks. Um, well, yeah, I, 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 I totally feel and, and sympathize with the, the sentiment that Thomas has expressed in relation to that situation. And, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, I can sympathize. Certainly, you know, my own responses can be equally, you know, emphatic in terms of, well, I can't deal with these people anymore, you know. And a lot of things have happened, you know, in my family and in the extended family and so on that, that, you know, big and small of them that, that, you know, just do not, you know, lend themselves to, to reconciliation. However, I, I do feel that, that we have to take into account the level of indoctrination and brainwashing and mass hypnosis that has been used by these sinister forces, because this is unprecedented in our lifetimes. We, we had no idea that even these things were possible. And Matthias Desmet, has, the Belgian psychologist, has actually explained an awful lot to us, I think, about how these forces worked. And so, although it, can, it may be difficult, I think that we will have to move towards a situation of reconciliation when these people come to us and say, look, uh, you know, that they were, they had no idea. And yes, they will, we will say, well, we did tell you. And they will say, yes, I know, but I didn't hear. Uh, and the reason that they didn't hear was they couldn't hear, you know, they, they, they were blocked by these, these sinister forces and the techniques they've been using. You know, I've seen it time and time again, you know, that people are actually prepared, literally pre-prepared for you to say these things to them. And they have ready answers, you know, and about disinformation or about, you know, anti-vaxxers and so on. They think we're the indoctrinated ones. 
and we know we're not. I mean, this is a terrible burden of knowledge, but we do know it. We are certain of it without question. There's no kind of, well, what if they're right and we're wrong? No, 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 we're not wrong. Unfortunately, we're not wrong. We have been too right about all this, about everything. We are too right about everything. And that's our problem. And, and so we have to be magnanimous in that context, I think, if we can find it in ourselves to do that when the time comes, because we will have to heal these rifts and we will have to rec allow our society to recover and our people. I really think, you know, we need to, to, to delve into this in a deeply imaginative way and understand that this is really unprecedented, that this is nothing like this has happened and that the damage is capable of being very long lasting, the psychological damage. The, the hurt that has happened to people's minds and hearts, you know, that they have been alienated from one another, that people have died without reconciliation. Uh, you know, I've had this in my own family. Um, it's really shocking. And it won't always be possible in all instances. I'm not saying that. But in the general things, people, I will have, we'll have to allow them their innocence and their ignorance and, and their lack of, you know, awareness and their lack of wakefulness. I think we will have to find ways to, to, to do that uh, when the time comes. Hey, John. Thanks a million. That's a um, really good conversation. I think we'll just wrap it up with that, John. You have to be very kind to it. I just wanted everyone to know that watching this after, um, can you like and uh, share it around and subscribe and it's on Spotify or BitChute because we had a video removed off YouTube there last week. But anyway, guys, thanks a million for that, and thanks a million, John.